So open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. We'll read there together in just a moment. Revelation chapter 6. I wanted to mention uh, just a word about our uh, construction project. Some of you have noticed that's really coming along. You'll see not too long to see steel in the air and all that goes with it and that new gym uh, being built. It's an exciting time for us. Thank you for those who have given to the building program. And uh, you may remember we're not going into any additional debt to build it, though we are borrowing from ourselves and paying ourselves back. And thank you for uh, helping along those regards. And, in, and let me just say a word about giving in general. We give our tithe to our church budget. That is, we, we believe that's the best example. It's what supports the mission and ministry of our church. And uh, so I, I tithe to that. I ask you to consider joining me in tithing uh, to the church budget, to the mission of FBCO. And then we give above and beyond that as God leads to building programs and such. And uh, you, can, you can give in various ways. You can even do the recurring giving. That's a convenient way to do it. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 6. We're going through this book of the Bible all the way. We'll go all the way to the end eventually. It'll take a while till we get there. And sometimes we'll look at just a couple of verses and sometimes a little bit bigger section. So this morning, I want to give you a principle and then I'm going to read verses and comment as we go. I'll do it just a little bit differently. Some of you have said, as long as it's not the same sort of sermon, I'm for it. Anything that's different from you, maybe you're, you're glad it's different than normal. It's just a little bit different. I'm going to read several scriptures. So here's the principle I want you to get. A time of great tribulation will come to our world. A time of great tribulation is coming to our world. That's what the Bible is teaching us here in the book of Revelation. Now, I believe this will be after the rapture. That is, there is a rapture of the church when people who know Christ as Savior will meet the Lord in the air And then after that, a a great tribulation, and the Bible describes that in some length here. You may remember if you were here in previous weeks that there was uh, the scroll that no one was worthy to open. It had seven seals on it. No one was worthy to open it except the lamb who was slain. It's the picture of the Lord Jesus, who is the Lion of Judah and the lamb who was sacrificed. And Jesus was worthy to open the scroll, and we're going to see six of the seven seals opened, each of those seals really revealing a little bit more about what's going to happen in the future. So let's read. Hold your Bible open. Stay with me. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 6 and into chapter 7. A lot of verses. Can you do this? Are you ready? Here we go. So let's read first the first few verses together. The Bible says, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there was a white horse, and its rider held a bow, a crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Well, we might call this seal, this first seal, the seal of conquest. It's the seal of a conqueror. And there's a, the Bible says, um, the Lamb has opened this seal, the only one worthy of the Lord Jesus. And then we see a rider on a white horse. And I don't believe this to be the rider of the white horse that we'll see in Revelation chapter 19. In ni- chapter 19, we see Jesus coming on a white horse, and Jesus returning in that way. Can I tell you, sometimes people will say, man, I, you Christians believe some things, and I don't, I don't uh, man, I don't know, I can't believe you believe those things. And I'd like to tell them, well, it's worse than you think, because not only do we believe the things that you're talking about, but we believe that Jesus is going to return one day from heaven riding a white horse. So if, you, if you're having trouble with these things, I'm just telling you, There's some miraculous things that God is going to do. But this horse 
is not. This is one of the, what sometimes called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we'll see each of these horses. This guy on a white horse, but um, he's, he's not bringing peace. In fact, the Bible says a crown was given to him, different than the crown of the Lord Jesus. And he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. So it's more likely this is a, a deceiver conqueror. A dictator, one who might look like one who brings peace. And maybe there, maybe there is a sense in which there's some peace when a dictator comes. Almost always when a dictator has come into power. There have been people who have just applauded. This is great. We need this guy. He makes the, the trains run on time. How grateful I am for this new dictator. But then we see more of what the dictator does and the pain and the problem that comes with a broken uh, man leading a broken world. And so we see this seal of conquest and perhaps this will be a, a powerful leader in our world who will conquer and who will bring conquest and who will rule with an iron fist and then secondly i want you to see let's go to verse three and read there the second seal the bible says when he opened the second seal i heard the second living creature say come and then another horse went out a fiery red one and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another and a large sword was given to him this is what we could call the seal of the removal of peace peace is taken from the world and certainly when the rapture occurs and christians leave this world there'll be the removal of the of the people of peace but this writer comes bringing a sword and we'll see more of the conflict of war and pain we are lit near a large Air Force base, and we have many uh, military types in our church. And we're reminded that the reason we have relative peace in our time, relative peace in our nation, is because there are people who are willing to, to stand in the gap on our behalf. And that's how we can have peace, because of their willingness to sacrifice on our behalf. Next week, there'll be an air show. And by the way, you don't have to skip Sunday morning church, because there's an air show. Though some of you I know will work, some of the military guys uh, work during that time, but we will we'll hear, it's a, a, a fascinating, that air shows are just fascinating. We haven't done one for six years, I'm told, since the last one. It's really a exciting time for us, and you'll hear those jets just roar overhead, and we'll, we'll be reminded of the sounds of freedom. It's the sounds of freedom, but there's coming a day when there'll not be peace. The peace that we have, the peace that we enjoy will not be there because there's coming one, the second horseman of the apocalypse is going to remove peace from the earth and there's going to be a, people slaughtering one another. We see a third seal beginning with verse 5. Let's read there. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse, and its rider held a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. We could call this the seal of famine or the seal of want, a time of great deprivation. Uh, denarius is a, a common description for the, a day's wages. And so a, a full day of work just to get enough to really sort of barely make it. Maybe you could buy a little bit more of the cheaper barley, but so little, so much deprivation, so much famine and pain. It's a lot different than that for us right now, isn't it? We have what we call first world problems. Vic and I 
biggest uh, disagreement is trying to decide where we're going to go eat. That's the, that's the kind of first world problems we have. But there's coming a day where there'll be deprivation and people will be glad just to have enough to eat for the day. And that's the third seal. And then the fourth seal, the fourth, the fourth horseman. The Bible says when he opened, verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a pale green horse and its rider was named Death and Hades was following after him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. This, this is what we might call the seal of death. Not a very pleasant thought. Uh, there'll be the sword and famine and plague and wild animals and a fourth of the, of the world under this great torment. And then we come to the fifth seal, and this is going to be a little different. So let's read there, beginning with verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had, they had given. And they cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Well, this fifth seal is different, isn't it? It's not a horseman now. This is not something happening, but the result of things that have happened. And there have been many who have been martyred. In fact, not just died in Christ, but died because of Christ. The Bible says they were slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. And I believe these to be the people who have come to the Lord after the time of the great tribulation, in the great tribulation, that there'll be people who will come to the Lord then. Now, There'll, there'll be a great cataclysmic event when the rapture occurs. And what a dangerous thing to say, I'm going to wait until another opportunity. Man knows not his time. And so much devastation will happen in those early moments. But in this fifth seal, we see the ones who have been sacrificed, the martyrs. We could think of it as the seal of the martyrs. And those who have been sacrificed, who have given their life for the cause of the Lord. Do you realize there are people in this generation who are willing to give their life for the Lord. Not just to die in Christ, but to die because of their faith in Christ. Because of Christ. Because of their testimony. Isn't it interesting that maybe, maybe we sort of struggle, oh my goodness, so much that God asked me to give. It's so hard. Such a great sacrifice. And then there are people who give their lives. Or so to serve, to think about serving. Or to think about the sacrifice of attending a worship service. Or, or on and on we could go these relatively small things. And then there are people who show us such value. They have such value in the things of God that they're willing to give their very life. That's how much they value. When we often, especially in the Western world, devalue the things of faith, the things of God. We devalue those, often valuing things that are of such little ultimate importance. And devaluing the things that last for eternity. And these martyrs. They're crying out with a loud voice, how long? Notice they're, they're given a white robe. Their righteousness comes from the Lord Jesus. I, I remind you that your righteousness does not come from you. These were sinful, fallen people who are broken, just as we are sinful, fallen people who are broken. We don't, we don't uh, stand before the Lord righteous in our own merit, but the Lord, when he forgives, he forgives so much, so well. 
so thoroughly, as though we had never sinned, in salvation we can be declared holy and righteous before God. Did you know that? As though you had never sinned. That's how fully God forgives. And these sinful, broken uh, men and women who have lived and died for faith now wear a white robe, not because of their own merit, but because the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for every sin, and you can be forgiven by that same blood of Jesus, by the same blood of Jesus, declared righteous and holy as though you had never sinned. Now you have. We're all broken, but forgiven and given God's holiness and God's righteousness. And the Bible says they, they in, a, in a sense, they speak to our hearts about the value of faith, this fifth seal. Let's go to the sixth seal in verse 12. The Bible says, Then I saw him open the sixth seal, and a violent earthquake occurred, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The, the sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person uh, hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So let's note a couple of things about what we'll call here the seal of the shaking of creation, this time of natural disaster. Creation itself will be shaken. The Bible talks here about a terrible earthquake. More than 200 years ago, there was just 100 miles down the Mississippi River was a great earthquake on the New Madrid Fault. And it was so great and so powerful that for a time, for a little while, the Mississippi flowed backwards, back upstream because of the, of the power of the earthquake. And this is describing an earthquake of so much greater power and strength and the falling stars and the shaking of nature itself, creation itself. Notice the Bible says here, the, the kings of the earth and the nobles and the rich and every slave begin to pray. Some of you may have seen the... Uh, uh, coronation of the uh, king and queen of England. I, it's, I'm not super interested in that. I mean, uh, I, I blame it on George Washington, but I don't follow the nobility as much. And so, um, but maybe you maybe you follow that a little bit. And 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 by the way, I was, it was on really early in the morning, uh, so we're like you know, it's like just a little after six, and it was on. There was the coronation. Why they did it so early in the morning, I do not understand. But for some reason, they were doing the coordination early. And man, there was a lot of the gospel. I don't think a lot of the people understood it very well, but there was the message of the gospel being proclaimed in that, reading of scripture, the truth of God. People who would have heard the gospel if they were listening. Uh, but notice the Bible says here, the day will come when the kings and the generals and the powerful and the rich are hiding. And notice they're praying. And you say, of course they're praying. I mean, it's a terrible catas cataclysmic event. Of course they're praying. But notice they're not praying to God. The Bible says in verse 16, they said to the mountains and to the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who is able to stand against this? And even in the, this terrible pain, they don't turn to God. And, and notice they, they talk about the wrath of the Lamb. Now, Jesus is love. And we, you say, I like that. Because you don't think of a Lamb, you don't think of wrath of the Lamb. 
That's just a sacrifice. Jesus is love. He gives himself. But the Bible talks here about the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne because God is not only love. He is love. Absolutely. He is love. But he's holy. And he's rightly the judge of the universe. And so they call upon, they pray to the mountains to cover them because they can't stand this pain. And then let's go uh, to chapter 7. And I want you to see just this uh, next section. We're going to see 144,000 from the tribes of the Israelites. We'll see them later in the book of Revelation. Let's read beginning with verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. And he cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed, who were, who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, some people see this section and, and want to apply it to the church. I believe it better. My opinion is that it is more fitting to the text to apply it. As it says, these are the Israelites who are sealed for a special purpose, those who have come to know him as Savior and who are going to serve him in a particular way, that God is God's unending plan for Israel and his redemptive story is shown here. God is continuing to work in and through the nation of Israel. The, the last hundred years have been, the 75 years that Israel has been a nation, really a miraculous occurrence, and that I believe God is continuing to use that nation, has purposes and plans for them, and is going to use them a part, as a part of his redemptive story. We'll come back to those 144,000 later in the book of Revelation will be reminded that they have come to know Christ as Savior, and that's the means by which they serve Him. They, the veil has been lifted for them, and they've come to know the Lord. You may note, if you're especially astute, that the tribe of Dan is not mentioned, that Joseph is mentioned, and also his son Manasseh, but not Ephraim. And you say, well, well why is that? And here's the answer. I don't know. Is that a good answer? Do you like that answer? I suspect that it's because of the idolatry of the tribe of Dan and Ephraim. I suspect that to be the case, but the Bible doesn't always answer every detail of why God does what he does. And while there are many details in the book of Revelation, there's a lot that we don't know that we're left to speculate. So with that sort of behind us, I want to give three principles to you to kind of talk about what, what God is teaching us here and really in the book of Revelation. Three principles. Would you write these three things down? Number one, the Lord will judge the earth. When we think about the great tribulation, if there's one thing that's, that is apparent here, it is that the Lord will judge the earth. The Lord shows us here in this book of Revelation and in the books of the Bible, God shows us the, uh, the work of history. He shows us our history. It tells us that man was created for a purpose, created for a relationship with God. 
that we are fallen, Adam and Eve fell into sin, and all who have followed, all who have followed have fallen into sin. That though we have all sinned against God, He had a plan for our redemption. And that He sent the law to teach us about sin. And He, he sent the Lord to provide redemption. That Christ came into this world for us, though we are fallen. And that Christ lived the perfect life for us. That Christ went to the cross in our place and took the sacrifice, that, the, the sin that, that was ours and took it upon himself and died in our place on that cross. And that he provided the miracle of the resurrection on our behalf. That if we will repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, who rose from the grave for us, we can be saved because of the price Christ paid. He shows us our history. By the way, he knows something about your history too. And I don't have to know the details of your history to know that there's some pain in your history too, just as there was in the history of Israel. Israel isn't the only group who had pain. You have some, right? There's some brokenness in your past. And some of it's because of the situations beyond your control. Living in a fallen, broken world with other fallen, broken people, you've been hurt and harmed by that, by that very living in this fallen world. And some of it has happened because of your own choices, because of your own stubbornness, because of your own rebellion. And God knows something about your history as well. But he doesn't just show us our history. He shows us our destiny. And he's saying in the book of Revelation, there's something more to come. That history's not the end. That though I made you for fellowship with me, and though you were broken by the fall, I have a purpose and plan for you in redemption that will be fully understood in eternity. And that though you individually were created by me for a relationship with me, and though that was broken by your own rebellion and sin, I have a purpose and a plan for you. And in redemption, you can be forgiven and you can be declared holy, declared righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can be made whole and set free. I have a plan for your destiny. When we talk about the Lord as the judge of the earth, it's sort of unsettling for us in some ways. One of my brothers is a judge, you may know. And I don't really want him to be my judge. I'll just tell you, I don't want to break a law in the counties where he lives in Missouri and stand before him as a judge. I got enough of him as a judge when I was a boy. He's a couple years older than me. And he judged me many times in many ways. And though perhaps if I stood before him in a court of law today, maybe he would be merciful. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. And so when I see God as my judge, the Lord Jesus as my judge, we may not want that. We don't like the fact that God judges us. But judge us, he will. And Christ is our righteous and holy judge. And that even makes it more difficult because he knows the truth about us. The Lord will judge the earth. And so he shows us our history, all the brokenness, all the pain, all the fallenness, but he also shows us the destiny, the hope, and the, prov the provision made by the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a second principle I want you to get. Sin carries consequences. Would you write that down? Sin carries consequences. This is an important one for you to get. This matters deeply. Sin carries consequences. So let me say four things about sin because 
the Bible here is talking about the consequences of sin, let's note four things about sin. Number one, sin is real. That is, there is right and wrong, good and bad, things that we should and things that we shouldn't do. Right and wrong, not based on our feelings, not based on our popular opinion, but based in the reality of truth and the God of truth. And we live in a time when we say, there's no such thing as right and wrong. We've lost sight of right and wrong, good and bad. And that's why there is, in in this generation, gender confusion. Because we lost sight of right and wrong. And sexual immorality. Because we've lost sight of right and wrong. And the devaluing of life. Because we've lost sight of right and wrong. And the Lord tells us to a generation that says, there's no such thing, do whatever you want. The Lord says sin is real. You know, this is not a new thing. In the history of Israel, there was a time when the Bible says about Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. The Bible said about them on an occasion, they forgot how to blush. That's this generation. But the Bible says sin is real, that right and wrong are not based on our feelings, emotions, thoughts, wishes, or votes. The second thing I want you to see is sin is serious. You might say, okay, I mean, I get it. There's things that are right and wrong. I mean, when pressed, I recognize that. But it's no big deal. And the Bible says not only is sin real, but it is serious. It's serious. God takes it seriously. And you really can hardly read the book of Revelation without seeing that God takes sin seriously. And that it matters to him. And that he talks to us about consequences so directly. Number three, note that sin is damaging. So you might say, well, all right, sin is real, all right. Okay, God takes it seriously, but it's not going to hurt anything. And the Bible says, no, no, this is what you're missing. Sin damages you. It damages you. God calls us to holiness because it's in our best interest. Because sin harms us and hurts us. Ultimately, for eternity, and in the meantime, in the here and now, sin is always damaging And then number four, sin is judged. That is, when we say sin carries consequences, we're saying God is going to judge sin. So we've been sold a lie on the subject of sin. The enemy is super good at marketing and super good at selling. And he has said to you, sin is no big deal. It doesn't matter. Do any of you you remember an old comedian named Gallagher? Any of you? You can, yeah. Some of you are old enough, or maybe you've seen something on YouTube. Gallagher was a comedian who used uh, prop humor sometimes. And if you know the story of Gallagher, you know that he closed shows. He did something like 200 shows a year for like decades. And he closed every show the same way. He made it like it was an infomercial, like an infomercial that was big back in his day and still to this day. And he sort of made a spoof on infomercials. And he had, uh, he closed the, sh- the, sh- the show with a prop that he was selling to you. He said you needed to buy, like an infomercial would. And it was the, do you know what it was? The Sledge-O-Matic. The Sledge-O-Matic. And it was a big wooden sledgehammer. And he would smash things with it. And he would talk like you would hear a sales pitch. You know, this is why you should buy this. It's so great. And he'd smash an apple or a pineapple or a thousand other things and smash them all over, and the audience in the front would get splattered, and he always ended with a watermelon. He would smash that, and the, the people who had been to his shows or knew about it would 
wear raincoats and things because watermelon would splash everywhere. And listen, the enemy is like, that's what the enemy does. He just saying, he's talking really fast and he's saying, sin's a great thing. You're going to have a wonderful time. It's going to be so great. Don't miss this opportunity. Limited time only. It's going to be wonderful for you. And he's lying to you. And he's trying to get you to buy this lie that sin isn't real. And God says it is. And sin isn't serious. And God says it is. And sin won't hurt anything. And God says it's damaging to, to you and to your very soul. And God doesn't care. And the Bible teaches this principle. God is our judge. So get that in your heart, deep in your heart. Sin carries consequences. And God, because he loves you, because he cares about you, wants what's right and best and good for you. And so he tells us the truth in this book of Revelation and throughout the pages of the book of the Bible. And then would you notice a third principle? God's purposes will be fulfilled. Would you write that down? God's purposes will be fulfilled. And we see in the pages of Revelation something of the, of the future fulfillment of all of God's purposes. So I'll note three things about God's purposes being fulfilled. Number one, the Bible tells us some will be saved and some will be sealed and some will be separated. That is, some will come to know the Lord as Savior. They'll repent of their sins, place their faith in Christ. Those who are sealed, these 144,000, of course, will have repented of their sin and trusted Christ. We're only saved. All of us are saved the same way by the blood of Jesus by recognizing that we're sinners who need a Savior and giving our life to Christ. And some will be separated from the Lord. And may I just tell you, I would do you no service if I did not tell you this truth, that not only is there a heaven that can be ours because of the grace and mercy of God, but there is a hell. And some will be separated from God for eternity because of the just consequences of sin. And I tell you that because the Bible tells us that. The same Bible that tells us about heaven tells us and warns us about hell. And so I want you to be saved not only to gain heaven, but because God has a warning about the, the danger and the terrible hell that will be described. We'll see more of that in the book of Revelation. And then number two, the Bible's telling us here about God's purposes, that sin will be defeated and Christ will reign and true Christians will have eternal victory. So sin is going to be defeated. It's ultimately going to lose. We know the end of the story. Christ will reign. He is Lord of lords and King of kings, but we will see the fullness of his reign one day. True Christians will have eternal victory. Some will use the name Christian that doesn't and change the definition, but a true Christian is one who's given their life to Christ and find, found salvation in Christ, and they will have eternal victory because of the blood of Jesus shed for us, because of the promises God has made to us. And then number three, God's plans and his purposes will be enacted the Bible is telling us what is going to happen, what is going to take place. And God's plans are going to be enacted. God's purposes are going to be fulfilled. So God does this for us. He informs us. He tells us the truth. He helps us to understand. He affirms us where we need affirmation. And he warns us of where we're wrong. God informs us and he affirms us and he warns us because he wants us to understand his purposes that will be fulfilled. Now, this has, been, this has been a lot of bad news, hasn't it? And you don't like, man, who likes bad news? You don't want to go to the doctor and have the doctor say, well, i got some bad news. And then to tell you what that bad news is. But you know what? As much as you might not like it, 
You need the doctor to tell you the truth and to say, if it's bad news, there's some bad news. And here's the problem. And here's the remedy for that problem. And here's the method we're going to take to find healing and relief from this problem. And there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that he tells you the bad news. Because he wants to warn you and affirm you and inform you. Because he wants you to know the truth. Because even the bad news is, a, is news that we need. And when we learn the bad news, you know, you'll never come to Christ if you think, I'm okay, I'm all right on my own. But when you realize the bad news, I am lost and broken, that's when you come to the Lord and say, he's the only one who can heal. And God in heaven wants that for you. And so he's informed you and he's warned you so that you will know this truth. And so that the bad news that is the truth of our existence can point us to the healing and the hope that's found in the Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? As we pray, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, would you give your life to Christ today? Would you repent of your sin? Would you place your trust in Jesus who lived for you, who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior? Ask him to save you today. Give your life to Christ today. Christian, would you be reminded from this truth of what's going to happen, that God has a purpose and a plan, that he's working even right now? so that you don't waste this day or this life, but instead live it for the glory of the Lord? Would you be reminded of the urgency of the hour and the importance of following the Lord while you can? Would you ask the Lord to teach you so that you begin to understand more of who He is and what He's done for you and what He wants to do in you and for you and through you? And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth you teach us, even the hard things that we so need for the reminder of the great tribulation that will come. Lord, we need this truth. And we thank you that you tell it to us because you use it as a means of us finding, finding the healing that comes only from the Lord Jesus himself. And so, Father, I pray you'll do your work in the lives of people this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.